Hi, I'm Jennifer Zollett. And I'm Larkin Bell. Welcome to our podcast, A Brighter Lens. much for joining us, Emily. We're really excited to talk to you about your crowdfunding platform, Seed and Spark. But first, we want to go back to the beginning a little bit. Can you tell us about what inspired you to pursue filmmaking? Yes, because I never meant to be a filmmaker. (laughs) I was not a person who was like, I'm going to be in the pictures. I was making theater, actually, for several years. And it's still my favorite way to consume stories is like live with warm bodies, you know, both on the stage and in the audience, there's something so electric and special about that. Um, But I was producing, uh, ready for this sentence, a site specific run of the Nordic feminist play Hedda Gabler in a borrowed mansion in New York City to an audience of 35, max a night and it was a secret location so we were sold out even before we started um was it like in the new york times because new yorkers like they hate being told no but they also love it so uh so it was a really popular thing to try to get into and um it was a really interesting time um the young woman who was playing hedda gabler and Hedda Gabler, if you don't know, is like Hamlet for women it's like the role that every woman of a certain age would like to play um and uh what happened? I can't quite remember when this started, but basically, you know, we were doing this amazing play every night and Caitlin Fitzgerald, the actress who was playing um, Hedda, was getting this like meaty, delicious role night after night. And during the day, even though she had like done a big movie, she did It's Complicated with Nancy Myers, her star was rising. Um, she had fancy agents. She was getting asked to audition for all these like major independent films, big directors with Stillman and um, Noah Baumbach and whatever, but like exclusively roles that were like pretty girl, pretty girlfriend, pretty best friend, hot best friend, sexy best friend. And I, it was something about the contrast um, between what she was being asked to do in movies and what she was able to do in theater that I was like, hang on a second. <laughs> where are the roles for really interesting, complicated women with really powerful friendships and big career ambitions? Uh, Where is that? And this was in 2009. Nobody was talking about diversity in media, really, except for the folks who've been beating that drum for decades. And they were not getting the platforms that they have now, right? Like this was not national media conversation. Um, and so one night, you know, after the show, we got drunk as you do, um, at a bar and we said, you know, when was the last time cinema was feminist? It was like the French new wave. Well, we're going to bring a French new wave movie to the stage in something that nobody would have come to see except our parents, let's be honest. Um, and, uh, that summer, Caitlin was cast, uh, let's be honest, as like, hot fiance um, in a really wonderful movie called Newlyweds. Um, And Ed Burns was the first sort of big name independent film director that was like, hey, you know, they've put a full frame sensor in uh, the Canon 5D and now it's super cheap to make really good looking digital cinema. 
Um, so, so Ed Burns was like the first major independent film director who had taken up the power of digital cinema that was also happening in that year, 2010, a bunch of really interesting things happened. Crowdfunding really started to rise out of the ashes of the 2007 and eight financial crisis as an answer for artists to connect directly with their audiences. Canon put that full frame sensor in the 5D camera and Netflix, um, dared to like imply that they were going to go all digital and it was not received well by the way the fact that people were like what do you mean i won't get dvds it was amazing um <laughs> and so it was a really interesting summer to be starting to think about these things but basically like ed burns shot this movie newlyweds for nine thousand dollars it was him his friend carrying a canon 5d camera and a dude with a mic pack <laughs> and like that was it and Caitlin was like, you all, we should make a movie. It's so easy. And to her credit, like she didn't really know she was lying. Like she'd been on a Nancy Myers movie set. She knows what she knew what it looked like when it was like the most not easy. Right. But she was seeing this. It felt we just didn't really take into account that a they'd been doing this for a decade. Ed and his his cinematographer and friends and B, um, it really matters what kind of movie you write to be able to shoot appropriately on like a run and gun small camera. So when we brought a cinematographer into our project, which we were starting to foment that was about women friendships, we wanted to tell like a really authentic story of women friendships. Um, the cinematographer was like, you can't tell the story that you're trying to tell on that camera. And uh, she proved it to us. We like drove up to Maine where we were planning to shoot and we took the 5D and we shot a bunch of sort of test stuff. And we we're like, oh yeah, it does bow at the edges. I guess we can't really shoot a big contemplative landscape movie on that camera, right? So it wasn't true necessarily that like all stories were gonna be super cheap to tell right out the gate. Um, and I would argue still we have the like, just take your iPhone and go shoot a movie. And it's like, well, okay, yes. And it's a very specific movie that you can shoot that way, right? And you have to be prepared for that. Um, but anyway, uh, that was how I got started. All of a sudden I was producing a feature film. It was a bunch of untested women in every single role and nobody would fund us and nobody took us seriously. And so we turned to crowdfunding, but because crowdfunding was so new, we didn't really feel like you could just like go ask people for a pile of money to like fuck off to Maine for the summer. You know, it was like, are you paying for your vacation? Like, what are you, what's actually going on there? So we built a wedding registry on a little WordPress website. We put a PayPal link at the bottom and um, we let everybody know exactly what it would take for us to make the film, the camera rentals, you know, the grip equipment, um, bug spray, sunscreen, etc. Some friends of ours saw this list and saw some things that were, they had just finished like a big, like $650,000 production. Um, and they were like, there's a bunch of stuff that's not on this list that we have. Would you like like all of our tents and tables and chairs that we all purchased for this that we now just have sitting in our garage? And they gave us like all of the stuff we would need for base camp and just like handed it off. And all of a sudden we were not just collecting cash, um, we were collecting literally hundreds of thousands of dollars in loans and gifts of locations and goods and services and rental cars and like all of these things. And a lot of those gifts were coming from the town where we were going to shoot the movie. And it started to build this amazing community network of people being really materially involved. And that opened up a ton of doors for us. And so once I got finished with that, um, all of the like sales agents and distributors who wouldn't take 
meeting with us, we're like, sorry, how many email addresses did you get from that campaign? You raised how much money? Are they showing up to your screenings? Why, yes, they're showing up to every screening and they're bringing their friends because they're like, that's my car, that's my house. Like I provided the makeup, like they drank coffee because of me, whatever that was. Um, and that was really the beginning of it uh, because not only did I see the way it shifted the power into my court um, and I got to do things like turn down a very terrible sales agency deal. I was like, I'm sorry, you want how many rights for how long and how much money are you gonna take? No. That seems ridiculous, right? Um, not only did it shift the power to my court around like negotiating distribution, but um, I think more profoundly, it helped me understand what happens when you have a direct connection to your audience. Um, and that was the thing that I really started to want to give to other creators. And I was going to get the chance because they were contacting me six ways from Sunday being like, how did you do that campaign? How did it go? Tell us everything. And that, that was what sort of led me to be like, oh, maybe we should build a platform. Um, but two things I never thought I would be in my life, filmmaker, entrepreneur, you never know. Wow. That's such a cool story and yeah. cool to see all the threads, um, of that story that kind of led to Seed and Spark. Well, what's exciting now is um, we have a you know almost a ten-year track record in the ways in which our methods get more demographically and geographically diverse content to the screen, um, and that's why in the last two years we really turned our attention to how that gets delivered. Because of course, we can all talk about like that sort of golden time when Netflix was making so many things possible. Um, but now they've become part of the set of monopolies that are making it a lot harder to be a creator and a lot harder to reach audiences or know who the audiences are you're reaching. Um, and so for me, crowdfunding is a really important tool right now to develop a direct relationship with your audience that you own. Because of course, once you sell something to a platform, well, one, if you're selling it in the development stage, you'll never own that IP again. Um, and that's a choice. Um, and also a, a feature, not a bug of the system right now. Um, and the other thing is you'll never have any idea who, who watches it or you'll never be able to interact with them. And the platforms can just cancel you and not really give you a whole lot of information as to why. Um, and the reason I think that's like fundamentally unethical is 85% of what gets watched according to Netflix is from their algorithmic recommendations. But if they don't tell you how or why their algorithm is or is not recommending you and then they cancel you for not getting watched a lot aren't they responsible for that so so this is like these are the big questions that we have yet to answer um and we can't just sit idly by and be like i'm not participating um however i am not particularly interested in what the entertainment business is doing because i think the entertainment business has always fundamentally sucked at delivering really interesting, impactful content to the people who don't already self-identify as the people for that audience, right? So like, do I actually believe a lot more people would watch independent films if they knew better how to deliver it to people who didn't expect to see them? I absolutely do. But because we've decided there's like an independent film audience <laughs> um, and those movies are like harder to know how to market and they don't usually have tons of budget to just get sort of a spray and pray method, um, they don't reach people who aren't already primed to see those movies. And that's really what our creators are interested in. So we got out of the entertainment business this year. Um, and uh, while the crowdfunding platform and the education platform are still very, very much focused 
on creators generating IP for podcasts and film and books and things like that. Um, on our distribution side, we are squarely focused on the workplace because the workplace is the most diverse place most people are in their lives. And it's a really interesting way to be able to get to people that no algorithm would ever deliver a movie to. So that's what we're working on next. Can you tell us a little bit more about that um, program? And was it born out of the pandemic as well? Or what was that born out of? It, it wasn't. It was in 2018, we started looking at the problem of what are we going to do about these algorithms, right? That are just taking diverse, inclusive content and delivering it to people who already look like us and already think like us. Like, what are we? It was our creators who flagged that for us, that we're, we're feeling stuck in the echo chamber. Um, it's a really scary and hard problem to solve when somebody's like, I want to get to audience at scale who doesn't already identify as the audience for my work. And you can't use social media and you can't use streaming because those are dominated by algorithms. Like, how do you solve that problem? So we were thinking about this hard and it took us a while to figure out how to address it. Um, and again, we started looking at the workplace because one of my very shrewd advisors was like, you know, it's the most diverse place most people are in their lives. So we did a six month research project in 2019 to understand what place story really had in the workplace to make an impact. And because we've always been about diversity and inclusion, we figured that would be a good place to start. So we were talking to diversity and inclusion leaders um, at every size and shape organization and learning what their challenges and opportunities were. And we developed this product in the end of 2019 and deployed a beta test and saw a ton of success in things like employee engagement, psychological safety, um, aptitude around inclusive behaviors. Um, because what we've built basically is a cinematic learning experience where the movies are a starting point, right? So we don't need to make corporate training videos. Creators have been telling their stories about all different kinds of experiences since forever. And like thousands and thousands of short films are made every year that are perfect for this. And there's no real like reliable monetization structure for shorts anyway. So we figured like this is a wide open space. We can get some revenue for creators they wouldn't normally get, but we can deliver really impactful learning for these organizations in a way that's more engaging than like shitty corporate training videos. Um, and so we built Film Forward and we started testing it and we saw a ton of traction. And then in um, uh, we had our first customers signing up in January, then March hit and everything changed. Um, and then I think anybody working in the diversity, equity and inclusion space will talk about the universe before and after George Floyd. Um, because after George Floyd was murdered, companies were hearing from their employees, like, you take this seriously or we walk, basically, like, we're not going to have this anymore. Um, and so we had an opportunity to deliver, you know, we had to hire people and, like, expand and um, develop racial justice curriculum and and um, deliver that around the work of some really amazing creators. Um, uh, and then um, that turned into an opportunity to um, try it out with feature films um, for things that, that with feature films, um, especially sort of high profile impact films, um, corporations are really interested in how to engage employees around civic issues, not just internal learning, but also external. And last year it was a lot about voting. So we partnered with participant and and supported their impact campaign for John Lewis Good Trouble with our technology. And we discovered um, there's a ton of appetite for this. And if we could help make watching movies 
As part of employee engagement, a familiar behavior for corporations, we crack open a ton of things, um, but it's not just like a revenue stream for creators. It's that we're gathering this incredible qualitative data about how movies are changing people's minds and what they choose to do about it. And if we do that at scale, well, now you're opening up a whole level of foundation funding that has always been on the brink of investing in content, but hasn't because you can't demonstrate impact in really concrete ways, but we can. Um, so that's really changed the game for us. So that's really where we're focused. We were one of the lucky companies that happened to have something in the hopper that could hit uh, in a pandemic. Distributors were open to different kinds of rights negotiation because there were no theaters. Corporations were interested in lots of different ways to engage their employees in a distributed work environment. Like we were just lucky <laughs> to, what do they say? Like luck is just opportunity meets preparation. So we got lucky, but we, um, we had been preparing this product for quite some time and the world afforded us the worst kind of good opportunity. Do you know what I mean? Like, it doesn't feel good to, to really look back. We have a lot of survivor's guilt internally, I think, too. But, um, but we were able to deliver really meaningful education at a time when companies really needed it and help their employees feel more psychologically safe. And that's, that feels really good. Wow. Going back to the, the crowdfunding side for just a second, I, I do feel like Seed and Spark is at the forefront of just, you know, promoting accessibility and supporting diversity within um you know, the creative community. And I'm just wondering, like, what are some of the specific ways you've used to foster that um, spirit within Seed and Spark? Um, that's a great question. So the first is just like hiring a diverse team, right? Who have lots of different perspectives um, across all of our business units, right? And it's got to go from leadership all the way down and back up that, um, that you know, when we hired Shana Woolley, um, initially as my assistant, because I was like drowning and this was two years ago now, um, they came in and looked at a lot of our like materials and were like, where, where is your stuff about gender diversity? Like where, where is your real, like rubber meets the road tools, stuff internally, stuff externally. We're like, you're right. It's not there. And they like spearheaded s some of those efforts. So I think, um, you can't really understand what it means to um, both the internal and external uh, work that a company does um, that, that like that having a diverse team can the impact that that can have um, until you do it <laughs> right until it's in practice. And we're a small team, so we don't add people all that often. Um, so we have to be really, really thoughtful about that's really important to us. Um, so that's one piece of it. And the other piece is, trying to constantly hold ourselves accountable and interrogate our practices. Um, and then it's about partnerships. So how do we partner and provide resources to the organizations that are already speaking to creators in places that we don't reach and communities we don't reach um, so that like we're not going in there and trying to speak to them in our language, but we're really going in with the community leaders already um, to provide things that they feel like are really useful. I think there's like the tech universe is really good at being like, we have the answers. <laughs> and uh, that was never our approach. And I don't know if part of it is because like, I never thought I was gonna be a filmmaker or an entrepreneur. So like, I certainly didn't come in feeling like I have the answers. 
Um, the other piece I will say is that our education program, which has been iterative um, over the years around what we continue to see is really successful, um, that the evolution of that education program, well, it allows us to provide a lot of free resources to those partners that I'm talking about, but it also allows us to create power users of the platform when they are ready because they're using it for the right reasons. I think when you approach crowdfunding is how much money can I get? It is very hard. It's very hard and painful to succeed. When you approach crowdfunding as how do I build a lasting and sustainable relationship with my audience with this as one tool, um, then you really see huge success. And that's what we're really interested in fostering for people, right? Is that lasting, sustainable relationship with an audience. That's so cool. Just like your first film. Yes. My first <laughs> film wasn't very good, by the way. Like we did, we, It was a very first film. Do you know what I mean? Like there's a couple of moments in it that are magic and everything else is like a little, we made like a white people in a cabin movie, if I'm really honest. You know what I mean? Like this was, I was very early in my own journey around um, equity, right? And and so I think um, that movie is very much reflective of where we all were in our journeys as well. And I've come a long way since then. Um, I'm very proud to have made that movie and with those women because of all the things that it did for us collectively. And and I think it, I think it did provide a useful model. That's kind of how it should work because everybody's going to make shitty films, but those shitty films should still be a launch post for whatever's next. And I think crowdfunding is one of the ways that you can ensure that. Because if you just make a crappy film in a vacuum and take a bunch of investors' money and then can't sell it and can't do anything about it, well, what do you have? <laughs> Not much. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, we end every interview with our lightning round. So we have three quick questions for you before we call it a day. So we'll start with three, your favorite or most influential film. Okay, uh, my favorite and probably most influential film is, um, <laughs> okay, uh, when I was entering kindergarten, I was no longer allowed the pacifier, but for, um, I had a really hard time giving up, but for uh, the duration of a movie after school. So I get home and I figured out that West Side Story was two whole tapes. <laughs> and so I watched West Side Story until the tapes ran out because it gave me more time with the pacifier, but man, I can sing you that movie front to back sideways. Uh, and I do think as a piece of cinema and as a piece of art, like it's spectacular for so many reasons. So that's probably best, most favorite influential. Two, dream person you want to work with? To be honest, my next project is bringing together a kind of a dream team, which is Musa Okwanga. He's a British Ugandan poet and author and my friend Adrian, who was an Alvin Ailey dancer and now is a, a teacher there, and it's a spoken word climate change dance movie. Um, and honestly, it's been a dream of mine to work with them, and it's actually going to come to fruition next year. So help me God, nothing is getting in my way next year. One best advice you've received? Just do the next right thing right. Um, our entire world is now designed to overwhelm us and sink us in news and information and comparison. Um, it can make it really, really difficult to figure out what to do next. And what I love about this piece of advice, which came from my dad, um, 
is really taking the time and space to reflect on what is the next right thing to do and making sure that that's the thing that you do next, right? So it's sort of a demand for space and reflection as well. Well, Emily, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. This was such a delight to talk with you. Thank you so much for having me. You can find us at abrighterlens.com and at abrighterlens on Instagram and Twitter. You can email us at abrighterlens at gmail.com. You can download the show wherever you listen to podcasts and on Apple Podcasts where we'd love it if you left us a review. Our theme song was composed by Jesse Nelson. Our logos were designed by Meg Cafferty. Our associate producer is Elise Welch. A Brighter Lens was created by Jennifer Zollett and Larkin Bell. 